Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. We're preaching um, um, through the Westminster Confession of Faith is kind of leading us through the scriptures. And so we uh, started with the Word of God, the most important doctrine of all, right? The Word of God, that the Word of God's trustworthy and everything else we believe comes from um, the Word of God. And then uh, we talked about um, who's the main character? God. Who is God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then we talked uh, last week about how the Bible begins, right? The beginning of the story that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We talked about creation. And uh, this week we are gonna talk about um, what went wrong, right? What went wrong with this beautiful um, opening of the story and is there anything that could be done about it? So got it? That's where we're headed. Um, We all good? All right, stand up if you're able. Stand up, dance around. Deep knee bends, whatever it takes. Warm up. Um, Genesis chapter three, the first nine verses. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And that's an ominous word, isn't it? Interesting, everything's been pretty positive here. And suddenly there's this very ominous word. You sort of feel the, the dark chill come over the the, the story, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And it's Satan, of course, using this creature, says to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to Eve, you won't die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Just a side note, um, you know, with Eve is Adam. Yet Adam's not quoted here. Adam doesn't say anything. Um, He's there. He's supposed to lead. He's supposed to be out front. He's supposed to protect um, uh, this paradise. And uh, what we find is passivity. We find that Adam does nothing. It's the great sin of men um, to be passive when they should step forward. Um, So it says that, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What a pathetic attempt, right? To clothe themselves. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? This then is the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inspired word. Every word of it is true. And it's given to us to communicate the passion of God that he will have a people of his very own. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us this morning. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh. Break us and melt us and mold us and fill us. Spirit of the living God, each of us would pray, fall fresh on me. Fall fresh on the pastor. Take these words and give us life through them. And we pray in the name of the Savior, amen. You may be seated, please. So the story of humanity really starts grand, right? The story of creation, the story of the world, the beginning of the story, it's almost idyllic, right? The earth is formless and void and yet God gives it form and he fills it and into the sky he puts the sun, moon and stars and into the sea, puts the sea creatures and onto the land, um, the great beast of the earth and then finally the, the, the apex of creation, he creates man and then suddenly there's a discordant note. Everything was good, 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 very good and then the Bible says, but it was not good that man was alone. And so God creates a woman, uh, a mate, a helper out of his own flesh. Adam loves it. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. God says, be fruitful and multiply. The Bible says they were naked and unashamed. It's just idyllic. It's just beautiful. And it leads us to ask this day in world history, what happened? What happened to that? What happened to that great grand world? Because the world is broken right at this very moment. Russia um, sits poised, hundreds, thousand plus um, soldiers with all their military might, the greatest military might really in the world, poised on the Ukraine border. The world ready to have a land war in Europe unlike anything we've seen since World War II. It's an ominous moment, isn't it? Listen, if I wanted to talk about how broken the world was, all I'd have to do is talk about sex trafficking of little girls, an epidemic all over the little world. Whoever decided it was a good thing to make little girls a commodity that you buy and sell for the most heinous of pleasures, right? Could anything be more broken than that? And then we have the genocide of the Uyghur people by the Chinese regime, you know, you can travel to Holocaust Museum after Holocaust Museum around the world, and what words will you find arrayed in the wall? Just two words in every Holocaust Museum. Why did they build the museums? Because of these two words they're asserting. Never what? Never again. Never again will the world stand idly by while genocide is committed. And yet we do. And yet we do. Never again becomes, no, in fact, again, and again, and again, and again. Just like we stood by when the Armenians were slaughtered by the Turks a hundred years ago, and Hitler said, look, the world doesn't care. We're about to hold the Olympics, and we'll dance around and proclaim the unity and brotherhood of all peoples. Um, the world's broken. 
Listen, we know our culture is broken. It's 49 years, I believe, since Roe versus Wade, something like 70 to 75 million unborn children whose lives have been taken in the womb. Do you know, when you think about how horrible that is and think about the Down syndrome children, some of the um, uh, most precious um, children ever, uh, ever born into the world, blessing their families and their communities, that over 90% of them now are aborted um, in the womb. Um, wouldn't it be great someday if, if our country could say to the world, in our country, we don't kill our babies, right? Um, the, the heinousness of abortion, but it goes on, you know. Um, uh, think of the brokenness of our culture. Um, there were um, 96,000 people in America died of, died of drug overdose. Um, and, and most of them young men. 96,000 last year, 30% more than the year before, which was well before the year before that. It's an epidemic in our culture. Do you know that there were 23 million guns sold in 2020 in our culture? Listen, I'm not arguing about uh, constitutional rights and all of that sort of thing. I'm just saying, I don't really think that can be a, that healthy of a marker in a culture. Um, gosh, our culture is broken. And you know what else is broken? Our hearts are broken. Because when you stand in front as a preacher and you look out at people, when I look out at this congregation, then I see people um, who have lost their spouses. I see men who have lost their spouses, in some cases at, at, at young ages, they're raising their children um, all by themselves. I see friends that have cancer, too many of them. Some of them way too young to be facing the uh, ominous um, struggle with um, cancer. Some of them have, very, have it very serious um, cases that are um, going to take a divine intervention. Um, um, when I look out here, I see people that have lost children. I mean, young children. I mean, children that, that uh, young men in their 20s, to, to leukemia, to car accident, to, to drug overdose. And then I see the faces of some whose children um, died in the first year of their life or didn't make it um, from the womb into the world. Um, I read the, the, the social media post of a young man who grew up here this week. Six years ago, he said, it was my daughter. This, is, this was the day of her death. It was therefore also the day of her birth. Um, he said, I miss her so much. Our world is broken. Our culture is broken. Our hearts are broken. What happened? It wasn't supposed to be this way, and the answer's found in Genesis 3. We're about to talk about it, right? It's right here in God's Word. It tells us what happened. Let's look at the pathology of the world. You know, it's interesting that the, the, the same act um, has different consequences uh, um, based on uh, who the act was um, um, committed against. You know, if, if, you're, uh, if you're a kid at school and you hit another kid on the playground, then the consequences are you go to the principal's office, you know? Um, and uh, maybe you'll be suspended from school for a day or two. If when you go to the principal's office, you hit the principal, it's the same act, right? Well, then the faculty cheers, but the, um, you actually get, you actually get um, 
tossed out of school. And then when the principal calls the resource officer, the police officer comes there. If you hit the police officer, right, now um, you're looking at going to jail and you add a few years to your life and there's a political rally in your town. The President of the United States is walking down, shaking hands, and you reach through the crowd and you attempt to hit the President of the United States, then you very likely end up in the grave, right? The very same act, right? Hitting someone has profound consequences that differ depend on the person you're striking. And you know what Genesis chapter three says? We punch God in the face. That's what it says. What happens when you punch God? What happens when you rebel against God? That's where we're going this morning. So take your uh, outline, we'll start with this. Before we ever rebel against God, before we join this cosmic coup against his authority, um, there's an attitude. Before the, before the actual punch is landed, there's an attitude that's cultivated, right? The fall of man, it's called in theology, the fall. The fall begins with an attitude. Satan, using a creature, calls into question, first of all, the authority of God. Look at what it says in the very first verse we read. The crafty serpent says, you know, God's made this prohibition about this tree in the center of the garden. So the serpent says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Um, you know, um, he exaggerates, right, the prohibition. You realize that's not what God said. God didn't say they, they, they shouldn't touch any of the trees. He only said one. He said, you can have it all, everything I made. There were millions, maybe billions of trees. You just can't have that one. But along comes Satan and says what? Did God really say you can't touch any tree? Um, you see, he's creating an attitude, right? I mean, Satan says, he won't let you touch any tree, really any tree. That's ridiculous, that's laughable. God said that you can't have the fruit from a tree in your own garden? It's your garden, you tend it, you till it, you care for it, now you can't touch it? I mean, who does he think he is, right? See the point? The act of sin is preceded, the act of the fall is preceded by an attitude, right? Satan uh, breeds this attitude in which we feel entitled to subject the command of God to evaluation, right? To question the fitness of what God tells us um, to do. I'll obey if I think it makes sense. I have the right to judge what I'm told to do and evaluate whether it's in my best interest. Sin doesn't begin when we decide to disobey, but when we think we have the right and wisdom to decide the merits of God's command. We're demanding autonomy. What's the anthem of people today? It's my body, right? And I can do with my body whatever I choose. Keep your hands off my body. It's mine. Get it? Autonomy. I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of the ship. It's the attitude. That's why parenting at the earliest ages is absolutely crucial to eternal life and salvation and repentance, right? It's not unusual if you're a pastor 
for people to come out after service and say, I've got a 15-year-old, I've got a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old, and I can't get them to do anything. They won't do anything I tell them to do. Guess what, you got a problem on your hands. You got an adult at that point. And you can't make any adult do what you want them to do. I hope that's not news to you. You can't make another person. You can ask them, you can cajole them, you can threaten them, you can remove um, you can give incentives, you can, but you cannot literally take them and make them do anything, can you? That's why this whole process has to start at a much earlier age, right? It's called, it starts at birth, right? And little children that um, God gives us, God put, gives us the responsibility. I mean, job number one of parenting is, is establishing authority. So when you're at the dinner table and, and peas have been served and that child won't eat their peas, you understand the significance of this. It really has nothing to do with their nutrition, right? It really has um, nothing to do with your feelings. I make this food. I slave over this. You'll eat what I put on the table. It's not personal, right? It's not nutritional. And the minute you allow your child to say, um, I don't like peas. Um, peas, I, I ate the carrots, right? I ate the carrots. If you serve spinach, I'll eat the spinach, but I don't like peas. If you make me eat these peas, I'll throw up, right? The minute you allow them to begin to negotiate, to begin to say, um, there's a reason I get to evaluate your command and I get to disobey it and I am going to tell you why because I make the decision and I know people come along and say that's how we get eating disorders you make children eat their peas curse on their house um, <laughs> it's got nothing to do with the peas right one minute you'll begin to argue and say, hey, I'm the parent here. Or you start to argue and say, have you seen what the Brits do with their peas? They mush them up. You got real peas, round peas, green peas. Yeah, but they're genetically modified. Shut up, kid. You know, you've lost, right? You establish at the earliest age, kindly and firmly, not arrogantly, because you don't have any real authority. You only have authority that's derived from who? The creator. You represent the creator. The creator made you and gave you a task. And your task is to teach your children about him, right? And what it's like to relate to God. And they learn that, and your children are gonna learn that from their mother and their father, okay? And that God is actually wiser than you. He made you, he's the creator. And, uh, and you don't have autonomy. You answer to him. And you're teaching that right from the get-go. You got it? We're grappling for the souls of our children at the very youngest of ages. Secondly, not only the attitude of, uh, well, this is, when I say secondly, that's not the second point of the sermon. You're sinners. We're still on the first point. Um, no, it's... Um, it's uh, this attitude, also Satan draws us to question the truthfulness of God, right? Look at verse three and four. God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither should touch it lest you die, the woman says. But the serpent says, you're not gonna die. That is not true, right? You shall not surely die. Eve, you're not gonna believe that, are you? 
that you'll die for eating a piece of fruit? And there's a mockery, right? He's mocking this idea. That is just dumb. Who would believe that? I just want to say to you something, that when college, when you raise your kids and you send them off to college, and you see them drift away from Christianity, it's not because at college somebody gave them an argument, a rational, persuasive argument for uh, the, the, the existence of the world apart from a God, apart from a creator. It's not because somebody gave them an argument that caused them to disbelieve the resurrection. It's because what they encounter there is being sneered at. What they encounter there is that what they believe isn't popular, it's not trendy. It won't get them respect. And in fact, they'll be laughed at. It will be laughable to people what they believe. Tim Keller said in New York City in his pastorate, after he preaches, people come up with questions, you know, people come up to encounter him. And he said, 99% of people's approach is a sneer. Only one out of 100 ask an intelligent question. Ask a question that really involves a, a thoughtful presentation of, uh, of fact, right? The rest are just, who believes this? I mean, what kind of ignoramus would, and that's what happens to, to college students. You discover that their views don't get them respect, but disdain. You believe in God, you believe in the resurrection, you believe in heaven, creation, you believe in sexual morality. You don't get drunk on Friday nights. What kind of Amish person are you, right? You're backwards, you're old, you're out of it. You're, li you're living under the constraints of religion and you're sneered at. It's very obvious that you are not welcome into the fraternity or the sorority of the sophisticated and the educated. Got it? It's an attitude. Satan brings the attitude. Um, not only the authority of God is questioned, but the truthfulness of God, and thirdly, the goodness of God, right? Look at verse five, what's um, said. For God knows that when you eat of it, Satan says, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. God doesn't want you to eat the fruit because you'll be in the know, you'll be enlightened, Satan says. God wants to keep you down. He's not for you. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. Wake up, Eve. Wake up, right? Take control of your own life. Nobody loves you like you. And you can do so much better on your own. See, this is the lie at the part of all the lies, right? The best life, if you want the best life, then you take charge. Satan doesn't attack the existence of God, but his goodness, you're better off on your own. Don't trust God with your future. Don't trust God with your well-being. See, people say, I know God says I shouldn't sleep with this person before marriage. But I don't think that's in my best interest. I want to. And I think it'll feel really good. And so, no. No, I'm going to, right? I know God uh, says I shouldn't spend so much money on myself. I shouldn't think all the time about improving this and improving that and the car and the clothes and everything. I know God says that, but you know what? It's, I don't get a rush from it. I want to do it and I have the right to do it. And I know how to take care of myself better than anybody else. The bottom line is I don't trust God to look out for my best interests. He's not as committed to me as I am committed 
to me. One of our pastors in his premarital counseling, uh, people are going to get married, come, and then they're getting counsel about that, and he'll ask them, are you sexually active? And in um, almost every case, they say yes. And uh, he, he uh, will often ask them, why do you think you're smarter than God? Why do you think you're smarter than God? Why do you so cavalierly um, do the opposite of what God says? It's a great question. See, long before there's an act of sin, there's an attitude, right? The most likely way to have the best life is to run it myself, my way. You with me? Now, are you willing to own this? Let me ask, is this attitude in you? Isn't it amazing that I even asked the question? I'm asking, do you own it? That this is who we are. Because it's worse than you even know, right? It is a cancer inside of our souls. Um, it's deep in every one of us. There are none righteous. No, not one. You might think you're a good person, right? And somebody was at the sermon uh, last night, after the sermon, I, I heard, heard them say to somebody else, I'll tell you this, my children were never raised to act that way. I'm better, they were saying, without saying it. I'm better than most parents. Deep inside of us, um, there is none righteous. Now listen, I can, I can stand, you know, we can get Ted Bundy and a serial killer and, and, and some terrorist and you in a, in a lineup and okay, you're better than they are. But that's not really the point, is it? There are none righteous. No, not one. Being better than other people doesn't make any bit of difference. We are not righteous. Man has fallen. With me? That's where we're going, number two. What's the, why does that actually happen? You see, all we talked about so far is the attitude that leads to what takes place. So let's talk about the act of fallen, uh, of rebellion, and then the aftermath. The act of rebellion. Why does God give, this is an interesting question, why does God give this one prohibition? I mean, what's so bad about eating fruit? I mean, it'd be very easy to, for God to say, you know, we'd understand it more if God said, don't murder anybody. We'd say, yeah, that's genuinely bad. We understand that that would be a, a meaningful prohibition. Don't kill anybody. Or don't go messing around with anybody else's spouse. Clearly, because if you do that, somebody's getting killed. We've got major problems, right? And then don't, um, uh, don't steal. I mean, you start taking stuff that doesn't belong to you from other people. I mean, these were the prohibitions. But don't eat fruit. Don't eat one fruit, one kind of fruit from one tree. You understand what this is is a test, right? It's a test, there's nothing wrong with fruit. It's not like God's warning them, that fruit of that tree, it looks awesome, but you know what, it's really poisonous, and if you eat it, it'll, it'll physically kill you. That's not what's happening here. I'm sure the fruit was delicious, I'm sure the fruit was nutritious, I'm sure the fruit was good. So why does God say don't eat it? Because it's a test. You can have everything, but that one thing, it's a test. 
And you know what the Bible uh, says and theology teaches is that if man had passed the test, if our first representative, Adam, had said no to the fruit, then he would have secured eternal life for all his posterity, living in paradise forever. But we know that's not what happened. Here's the test, you see, God's saying, I'm God, your life is a gift from me. Everything in this world is a gift uh, from me, I made it. And I want you to treat me as God and treat your life as if it belongs to me. And I'm not asking you to obey because it's practical or because it makes sense or because it's good for you or because it's helpful. I'm asking you to obey because I want you to do it because I'm God. I want you to yield to me as God. And to know if you will, there has to be something you're not allowed to do. One thing, it's a test. And they failed. Our representative failed, and in his failure, his failure falls to all of us. Now, ask quickly, how do we usurp the place of God like that? In so many ways, it's in our character, right? When we're anxious, we're filled with anxiety. I don't trust God. I can't rest God to run the world. When we're angry at God, how could he allow this to happen? How come this day is awful? Look at all the, you know, if I could run the world, Oy vey, right? If you ran the world. Um, and then, you know, e- even I, I think about the Sabbath. Worship. God says to flourish. I want you to stop working. I want you to rest. I want you to rest in me. I want you to gather with my people. I want you to worship. It's just vital. It's vital for our relationship. It's vital for your health. It's vital for the good of the community. And yet, our attitude is, I do it if I want to, Right? I have autonomy over my schedule, over my life. Nobody's gonna tell me what to do. If I wanna do other things on that day, family comes first, my, all this comes first, everything else comes first. I, I agree it's a good thing and we'll try to fit it in sometimes. Um, one uh, friend in the church told me this week, he was cuddling with this little three-year-old boy this week and the little boy said, um, you know, waking up in the morning and, and the little boy said, Daddy, sometimes I forget God. Sometimes I forget God. He said, but then I go to church and I remember him. Church helps me remember God. There it is. A three-year-old's got it, right? Remember the Sabbath day because gathering together helps me remember who I am and who God is and my desperate dependence on him and I need it all the time, right? So what's the aftermath? I mean, you know, that's the problem, rebellion against God. Um, Think about it, it wasn't enough to be like God in the image of God, the children of God and the beloved of God Adam and Eve wanted to be God. Did you hear that? It wasn't enough to be like him, to be made in his image, to be his children, to be his beloved. They wanted to be God. So Steve Jobs, before he died, you know, he spoke at Stanford uh, University's graduation. It was an off-talked-about address he gave where basically he said, don't be trapped by religious belief. Don't let the voice of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice, your intuition. His basic message was, listen to yourself, trust yourself. That's what the serpent said in the garden. It's no wonder that Apple's logo looks like this. 
Because the motto was, bite the apple. Bite the apple. If God says don't, do it. Trust yourself. That's what happened to the world. You got it? That's what happened to the world. Now, what's the aftermath? In Adam's fall, we sinned all. Adam, our representative, our federal head, the confession says, our first parents being seduced by the subtlety and temptation of Satan sinned in eating the forbidden fruit. By this sin they fell from their original righteousness and communion with God and so became dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. They being the root of all mankind, the guilt of this sin was imputed and the same death in sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by ordinary generation. What are the consequences? We are spiritually dead. We're not spiritually sick. We're not spiritually impaired. We're not spiritually deluded. We're dead. That's why to become alive again, it takes uh, the work of God, the work of God's Holy Spirit. Sometimes people say to me, I am seeking after God. I don't know him, but I'm seeking after him. I hope I can find him. <laughs> I look at them and say, if you're genuinely seeking after God, I want you to know something. He already found you because you wouldn't be seeking after him unless he was at work inside of you, right? Because no man seeks God, the Bible says. Nobody will run from him. That's the consequences of sin. We are spiritually dead. We don't need a little um, 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 uh, nurturing. We're dead. What do dead people do? Nothing. Nothing. We are spiritually unable unless God awaken us by his Holy Spirit. We have a corrupt nature. We are non posse, non picare. Uh, before we sinned, we were passe non picare. It was possible for us not to sin, but now it is not possible for us to not sin. And why is it that we sin? You know what the answer is? We want to. We desire to. We like to. What does it say in Jeremiah 17, um, 9? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Romans 3, 10 through 12. None is righteous. Not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Um, we're under the sentence of death. Every one of us knows that, right? Every day of our life is one step closer to our body giving out. Um, and we live under the, 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 the shadow, the fear, the enemy the, of, of death. And worse than that, we're under the wrath of God, which to me is the worst of all. To live in this world and not know whether God is for you or not is, is the perfect um, recipe for insecurity right? Even as a little child, I know I do not want to live in this world if God is against me. What a horror. How do I get God for me? How does that work? And, and, and we're also hiders, right? What happens in the garden? As soon as they, as soon as they disobey God, the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. The Bible had said they were naked and they were unashamed but now they were filled with shame. 
Think about that. Filled with shame. Do you know why there are so many therapists everywhere? We've created a cottage industry of therapists everywhere because we don't even know ourselves. We hide from ourselves. Our shame is killing us. They were filled with shame, and so they sewed together fig leaves and made themselves loincloths. Anything more laughable? Have you ever read anything more laughable? We used to have a fig tree in our yard. It doesn't really make good clothes, right? (laughs) Fig leaves. And think about how much money is spent on clothing. And think about how much money is spent on hats and style and scarves and look and coats and, and the whole package and makeup and everything else. Think of how much we layer ourselves because we're separated from other people and we want to culture our image. Think about uh, all the imaging going on in social media today. Think about how people stand when they take pictures for social media. There's a certain way to stand, I come to understand, that makes you look good. And, and uh, I haven't learned it yet, but... Um, it's so important to project an image because we're hidden from ourselves and we're hidden from other people. We have this image we want to present, but it's not real. It's not us. We're hiders. They were hiding. They immediately were hiding behind their clothing. And not only that, they hid from God. They were separated from God. You know, what happened to the idyllic world that God made? We did. We did. So what's the antidote? Listen, you say, you know, I just love coming to church and getting uplifted. (laughs) I just love this positive word um, at the beginning of my week. Um, So thank you, Pastor. I think I want to go out and get drunk. Um, You can't ever appreciate the medicine if you don't first know what how desperately ill you are, right? And you know what the medicine is? What's the antidote? That's the last point. And we get it right here in the first words here. But I wanna ask you, you know, if your child had cancer, it was terminal cancer, the end was near, then the doctor came in one day and say, amazing, We've, we have discovered the cure. All he has to do is take this pill, but Here's the cost of it. Would you say, well, we don't have the money for that? Would that be the response? I don't care what the cost is. I don't care what the cost is. I don't care what word comes out of your mouth about the cost. We will. We want the pill. Whatever the cost, we've got to have that pill, right? But here's the, here's the pill. Here's the solution. Here's the antidote. Uh, antidote for what ails us, separation from God. You know what it is? It's found right, right in that verse right there. But Adam and Eve, you know, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. But God called out to them, where are you? God came in looking for them. They didn't run to God. God came after them. That's the That's the antidote, to realize this is a God who seeks us. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We hide, God finds, God seeks. Jesus came into the world to find you because we run and we hide, but he doesn't take our running. Um, He doesn't let us run away. He pursues, he's the hound of heaven, he seeks. 
I love this story with all my heart. We happen to know this young couple who were working in um, Haiti when that horrible earthquake happened about 10 years ago and houses collapsed on top of families. I, I, I don't want to exaggerate, but I think there were over 200,000 people killed. It was just a, just a horrific. And one house, um, the house fell and there was a little five-year-old girl trapped in there. And she called out for her daddy and they dug and they dug, but they couldn't move the slabs of cement and everything else to get to her. They tried to get other people in the village. Of course, they were all trying to dig out their own children and their own families and there was no heavy equipment and the roads were blocked to get heavy equipment to their village. And uh, so with all their efforts, they couldn't get to her. And by day four, she wasn't crying out anymore. Day five, it just so happened that um, the opportunity opened up, you know, and, and, a, and a big tractor came and uh, they were getting ready to, to dig into the house. He got a hold of everyone. He got them uh, to his place, uh, though hope was faint. They started the first to tap, you know, uh, with hammers and suddenly a little voice cried out, Daddy, don't hit too hard. I'm still here. And they dug that little girl out and um, our friends worked in a, in a, a clinic uh, where they help pe fit people for, um, for new limbs. And this little girl, Soladine, I wish you could see the picture more clearly because you'd see the smile on her face because she had a daddy who didn't give up. He dug her out. She couldn't get herself out from under the rubble. And you know what? You can't either. You can't fix yourself. You can't make yourself right with God. You can't do anything. God has to do it. And he came and he did it. Your father did it. I'm a Christian because I did this. I'm a Christian because I did that. Whatever you are, you're not a Christian. Or you don't understand because you contributed what? That little girl can't say I'm alive because I, I dug my way out of that house, right? I'm alive because of my daddy. You're alive because of your daddy. And you know what your daddy did? In consort with Son and Holy Spirit, Jesus came into the world to pass the test. If Adam had passed the test, you'd have eternal life. But we need a second Adam, and that's what the New Testament says Jesus is, he's the second Adam. The first Adam faced this test where? Where was he? In a what? In a garden. Where did the second Adam face his test? In a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane, right? The first Adam's test involved a tree, didn't it? Will you obey me about the tree? The second Adam, Jesus' test involved a a tree, we call it the cross, right? Will you obey me about the cross? The first Adam said no. The second Adam in the garden wrestled, right? The first Adam faced his test in, in beauty and splendor and delight, right? The second Adam, it was dark and foreboding. He was all alone. The first Adam, obey me and you'll live. The second Adam about the tree, his test was obey me and you'll be crushed. You'll be crushed. And Jesus said, Father, is there any other way? And the Father said, no. And he said, thy will be done. That's the test, right? That's the test. Jesus passed the test. That's the only reason we're right with God. We can be right with God because the second Adam came and secured eternal life for all his posterity. Everything Adam failed to do, Jesus did. 
Adam wanted the place of God. Jesus gave up the place of God, right? To suffer in our place. The Satan said, he's not good. God is not good. And that question was answered once for all when God put on human flesh, came into the world and hung on the cross in our place, the ultimate act of self-sacrifice and love. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man do what? Lay down his life for another. Is God good? Is God good? Can you trust him? What's the last words out of Jesus' mouth? After he cried out to God and received no response, Jesus says, Father, into thy hands I what? Commend my spirit. He passed the test. You know, in the pastor's class, I love telling this story about uh, um, uh, a, a wicked guy who breaks into a house and kills this family's kid. But they don't hate the man. They actually uh, love this criminal, this killer, this one who robbed from them their own child. And I, and, and I tell this story about how they, they, um, they go down and get this guy out of jail and they bring this guy to their house and they love this guy and they give him their son's bedroom and they adopt him. And as I'm telling this story, um, I ask, what do you think about that? And, 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 and people, somebody usually burst out. And just the other night, somebody in class burst out and said, that's stupid. And I love it when they say it because you know what? It is. It's stupid grace. It's the stupid grace, the beautiful, crazy, beautiful grace. We punch God in the face. What should happen when you punch God in the face? We punched him in the face and he kissed us. That's the pill. Take it. Amen. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, there are people in this room who are running from you. There are people who listen to this podcast who, who have pushed you aside and they are far from home. But for whatever reason, you've drawn them to be here this morning. You've drawn them to listen online. Father, made the fact that uh, the ones who punched you and rejected you and gave you the middle finger and rebelled against you, God, would you um, cause them to take the pill, to receive the kiss, and to be reconciled to you? Astounding. Grace, grace, nothing like it. We love you for it. Thank you that in the ruin of this world, you came and you came to find us. We hid, we ran, you pursued, and you kissed us. listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.